Bibles with you this morning, would you open them please to the first gospel, the gospel of Matthew, the 28th chapter beginning with verse 18. This morning we conclude a sermon series we started 10 weeks ago, a series entitled An Exposé of the Modern Church. We saw how about 60 years ago, church leaders, sincerely or insincerely, wanted to be friends with the world. They wanted to build their churches, the crowds that came, on worldly people. In order to do that, they made a decision to do away, to strip away from the church sound doctrine. Doctrine is Bible truth that's non-negotiable. It's fixed, it's firm, it's forever. But these church leaders decided they would do away with it, either by silence, never talking about it, keeping their people ignorant about it, or through outright deception, misleading people with what they said. All the messages in this series will be on the website soon. But just as a quick reminder, these leaders decided to strip the cross of its power to save, to make it no more, no less than a piece of jewelry you wear around your neck or an architectural piece in the sanctuary. They decided to strip the Bible of its reliability, to suggest either overtly or subtly that the Bible's not true, it's not trustworthy. They sought to strip Jesus of his lordship, to take away from him his deity, to humanize him, to make him a good old boy who winks at our sin and smiles with us when we misbehave. They chose to take repentance out of salvation, to allow people to get saved by saying a prayer, walking the aisle, getting baptized, and that's all they needed to do. They could live like the devil and still go to heaven. They introduced to the church ministry without compassion, a ministry that's all about me, all about me. Who cares about anyone else? They gave us leaders without influence. The leadership of the church ought to be able to influence the church. More importantly, the leadership of the church ought to be able to influence the community where the church is at. But now we have a group of leaders that see no evil, hear no evil, feel no evil, because they are evil. They've given us a people without holiness, a hell without reality, worship without understanding. Do you know people worship today all over this nation? and they have no clue who Jesus is that they're worshiping or how worship should be. And lastly, as we're going to see this morning, they've given us a commission, better said, a great commission that has no urgency. All of that has happened over the last 60 years and it's happened right under the nose of God's people who don't seem to know or don't seem to care, or maybe both. The words of Jesus in the 28th chapter, the Gospel of Matthew, this is among the last things he said. He's talking to those of his day, he's talking to us this morning, and Jesus says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Not some power, not a majority of the power, all, A-L-L, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. With that power, go you therefore. Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Holy Trinity, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And remember, 
I shall always be with you. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So be it. Amen. I want you to think with me just a little bit this morning. You and I are going to go on a tour of an asylum right here in Somerville. This asylum is filled with people just like us. People who are a little different than we are, perhaps. This asylum is filled with people who are crazy. People who are violent. People who are addicted. People who have been indoctrinated with hatred and deception. People who are existing in a hell-on-earth situation. I want you to imagine that this is the asylum that you and I are going to do a tour of. It's filled with people who are empty, who are hopeless, who are lonely, who are guilty, who are fearful, who are angry. It's on their face. It's in their body posture. It comes out in their voices. It's displayed in their activities. And as we walk through this asylum and we're looking at all of these kind of people, I say something to you. Do you know, I say to you, there is a cure for these people? They don't have to be like this. There is a remedy for these people. We can take these sick people and make them healthy. We can take these people that are not so well physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. We can make them better. And your question to me would be, Pastor, why aren't we doing it then? Why are we allowing these people in the asylum to be like this? Why are we allowing them to exist and then to die and go to it a hopeless eternity? If there's a remedy, if there's a cure, if there's a treatment, Pastor, it would be cruel not to give it to them. It would be unjust not to give them to them. It would be criminal. It would be sinful. Why would you hold it back? And suppose I told you, well, there's many reasons why they don't get the remedy, the cure, the treatment that could change their life now and forever. One of the reasons is, is because the staff would rather do other things that are more fun than give them the treatment. The staff of the asylum would rather have a fellowship with one another. They would rather play ball with one another. They would rather talk about their books in the book club. The staff doesn't like giving them the remedy. It's not fun for them to do, therefore, they don't do it. Then I tell you that the staff also is indifferent to these people's need. I mean, after all, the staff is healthy. They're physically fit, mentally fit, emotionally fit, spiritually fit. It's not their problem to worry with these people that they've been entrusted to watch over and care for. They're indifferent to it. Suppose I told you that the staff also says it's not their job. It's not in my job description to give them the treatment. It's not in my job description to give them the cure. It's not in my job description to give them the remedy. That's why we have a boss. That's why we have a director. We pay him a nice salary. He ought to do it. Suppose I told you that the staff doesn't believe that the remedy will work. After all, this is a remedy that goes back a long time. It's been used to treat people in the asylum 
for years and years and years. But it's old medication. It's a relic of the past. We're a new generation. We need something new to give them. We're not giving them this old medicine. Suppose I told you the staff said, we don't believe it's, this is a medication for whosoever. We believe there's only a select few who can benefit from this. We don't know who these select ones are, so therefore we're not worrying with it at all. Suppose I told you that's the reason why the people in the asylum never change. Why they continue to exist with no hope, and one day when they die, they will go into an eternity with no hope. Now, if I told you that, you would be angry, would you not? All of us would be angry if we were told that there was a cure, there was a remedy, there was a treatment to make these people in the asylum better, to give them not an existence, but life. To give them liberty, not to have to be bound up and confined. We would be angry at the defiance, the arrogance, the laziness, and the callousness of a staff who won't do it. In fact, we'd say that every one of them needs to be fired. Would we not? Ladies and gentlemen, I don't think you have to be told what I'm going with this. That place out there is an asylum. It's filled with people who are battling with darkness, depravity, disgust of themselves, of the world in which they live. That's an asylum. People that live in that asylum make up our society and our culture. And we inside here are the staff. We have what they need. It worked on us. To God be the glory. It saved us. It changed us. It gave us Peace and joy and hope here, and peace and joy and hope for eternity. We got it, but we won't give it. Let's talk about the asylum that's out there a little bit more. The asylum that's called our nation and our society. Let me share with you some statistics that are sobering. might even put a tear in your eye, and some of us haven't cried in years. Do you know that 50% of all the little boys and little girls that grow up in our nation and the communities around us, 50%, one out of every two, will be raised in a home that has one parent or no parents? 50% of them will never know a mommy or a daddy, they'll never see a mommy and daddy together. They may never see a mommy and daddy at all because it all might be just a grandmother who raises them. So when you talk about a traditional family with them, they don't know what you're talking about. Do you know that one out of three little girls, one out of four little boys, will be sexually abused before they reach the age of 18. And they will be sexually abused by family and by trusted professionals, not by strangers or perverts. Do you know the suicide rates are growing at astonishing rates? 
In fact, suicide is the number three killer of young people in America today. The ones who have everything to live for are the ones who are taking their lives in the greatest numbers. They want to get off the asylum train. Do you know there's 40 million addicts in this country? I'm not talking about people who use. I'm talking about people who have cravings that require daily indulgences. Whether it be alcohol, dope, or prescription medication, 40 million Americans are slaves to substance abuse. Compulsive disorders, depression, phobias, and stress disorders touch over half the American population. Let me say that again. Compulsive disorders, depression, phobias, which are fears, stress disorders, over half the American population, according to the American Psychiatry Unit, psychiatric statistics, needs some type of treatment. Because life for them is not manageable anymore. Sexually transmitted diseases that we said we had stomped out through education and antibiotics are now epidemic among our young people. And many of them have no cure. Used to, we would say, you could go to the doctor and get a shot. Now there's no shots for the new strains of sexually transmitted diseases. 20% of the American population are living in poverty. Our streets are filled with homelessness. Our prisons are filled with criminals. Our abortion clinics are filled with slaughtered babies. Our campuses are filled with socialism and secular humanism. Mass murders and serial rapes are increasing in number, so much in fact that we just get we're numb by it all. It's just so numbing. Every time you turn around, some, some person is committing acts of atrocity against mass people. My point is clear. Our world is an asylum. People are afraid to live. They're afraid to die. They're desperate. They're hopeless. And they're bound to misery now and forever. And we, we, we have the cure, we have the remedy, we have the treatment. And what do we do? We shut our mouth, we clench our hand, we freeze our free, and we say nothing. We do nothing. And by the way, what is the remedy? What is the treatment? What is the cure? It's Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. It's Jesus Christ. It's not the church. It's not philosophy. It's not religion. It's not the government. It's not money. It's Jesus Christ is the answer. We know it because we've experienced it. It's not some theory that we offer to people. It's not something that we heard. It's not something that we read in a book. Most of us here today, this morning, we know it because we experienced it ourselves. And yet we make excuse after excuse after excuse why we can't do it. Remember the asylum staff, we all agreed, should have been fired. Maybe even arrested. For knowing there was a cure and letting those people live like that. I wonder if God would fire us. Charge us with high treason disobeying his commands and allowing people who have no hope to die with no hope. And yet we have the hope. 
Great Commission in so many places has become the great omission. Now, don't get me wrong. We do a lot of things well. We really do. I'm telling you, we worship well, don't we? We have great worship, but we never witness. We have people who will roll up their sleeves, as I said earlier, and they'll jump on any job you give them. We're going to do some sanctuary renovations coming up soon, and we're going to have some of you helping us. And you'll show up in force, and you'll do an excellent job. But we don't witness. We'll give our money. Over $190,000 last year to missions. Goodness gracious. But we won't witness. We pray. But we don't witness. We play. But we don't witness. We fellowship. Oh, we love the fellowship. And I'm as guilty as anybody. But we don't witness. We major in the minors. And the major is set aside. Reminds me of the story that I've told before of the little boy who brought home his report card and his daddy was looking at it. He got an F in English. An F in math. An F in history. An F in science. But he got an A and behavior. Now the mom was in the kitchen cooking and she said, honey, how did he do on his report card? And the father said, well, let me just say it like this. We got a well-behaved stupid kid. <laughs> we major on things that are minor. And minor on things that are major. Five things I want to give you from Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. The title of the message is A Commission Without Urgency. A Commission Without Urgency. First thing I want you to know is this commission given to us by the Lord is a very pointed commission. It's not a buckshot. It's a rifle. Notice what it says in verse 19, the first word. Help me with the first word. What is the first word? In Go. Say it again. What does go mean? It means go. How do you spell go? Okay. Go is spelled G-O. You can't spell it any other way. And what does go mean? It means you go, right? No substitute for it. Go means go. When it comes to the Great Commission, when it, goes to mean, when it means going out into this asylum and sharing our faith, Offering people the cure, the hope, the treatment. We go. We don't sit in here and say they're welcome to come. They are welcome to come. But it's not for us to be telling them to come. It's for us to go. What this is is a pep rally. So you'll get fired up to go out there and play the game. And the game is to tell people what we know is the remedy for the situation that they're in and the life that they're living. You have to play offense, and when we play, say come, that's defense. When we say go, that's offense. Now, if all you do is play defense, you may never lose, but you're never going to win, correct? You've got to score if you're going to win and play defense as well. And defense is, yes, they can come. Offense is, we're going out there. We're going to go to them. We're going to go to the highways and the byways. We're going to go to the supermarkets and to the recreational parks. 
We're going to go and assimilate ourselves into this society. We're not going to be like them, but we're going to be around them. We have to go. And yet too many of us sit and say, let them come to us. Put a, put a sign out there, Pastor, that says welcome. we got to go to all people. Not just people that we like, are people that are like us. Every face of every race and every place should be our mission. Red or yellow, black or white, rich or poor, pretty or ugly, Republican or Democrat, an up and inner or a down and outer. They're, everybody should be on our radar screen. The commission is pointed where to go. Not for them to come, we're to go. We're to go to all. We're to go with a simple message. I'm a sinner. He's the Savior. Bring your sins to him and he'll save you. Well, that's pretty simple, ain't it? You say, Pastor, where'd you come up with that? For me. <laughs> In 1979, I was a sinner who needed a Savior. I wasn't smart enough to know any theology then. I just brought all my sins to him and he gave me all his salvation. And that's all you need to know to tell people. Some of you think you have to have a Ph.D. from Harvard University to be able to share your faith. You don't. Just tell people what he did for you. I once was blind, but now I see. A simple message to one and all as we go. And we got to go with passion. If it doesn't mean anything to us, why should it mean anything to them? we got to go with persistence. You can't just do it when you hear a message like this and you feel guilty so you do it tomorrow and then forget about it. It has to become a part of who you are. It's not a program. It's a part of your life. And you got to go now. The sand in the hourglass of time is running out. Do you not know that, ladies and gentlemen? One day this nation is not going to be. One day our churches are not going to be. One day our homes are not going to be. One day we're not going to be. And we just keep kicking the can down the road. We get mad at politicians who do that. But we do the same thing. Let somebody else worry with the nation. commission is pointed Jesus says go well, pastor go get him oh just me huh I thank the Lord he knew what you were thinking because I want you to see something else here not only the commission's pointed go but it's personal go Help me with that next word, please. Ye. Ye is a fancy word for you. Hold up your finger, please. Everybody get your finger up. I want you to point at you, please. I'm not being facetious. Point at you. No, you. You. No, you. Jesus is speaking to each and every one of us. He's not just speaking to Pastor Jim. He's not speaking to deacons. He's not speaking to Sunday school teachers. He's speaking to everybody who claims his name. Do you claim the name of Jesus? If you claim the name of Jesus, this is your marching orders from the commander-in-chief. You go. The you doesn't have to be there, by the way. In the original language, the, the you could be implied but the Lord saw fit and necessary through our translators to put the word you in so there'd be no excuses. No exemptions, no exclusions, no exceptions. Anyone in here who claims the name of Jesus has been told to go. To go out and to share the remedy, the cure, the treatment with the people who live in the asylum that they can get better and can leave the asylum. The commission is pointed. The commission is personal. Thirdly, the commission is powerful. 
Notice in verse 18, Jesus talks about his power. He says, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. What a statement to make. Jesus says, I'm the omnipotent God. All power, not just some, all power is in my hands. And it's been given to me from heaven to use on earth. Now, you might be saying, that's good. What's it mean to me? Glad you asked. Because look at verse 20 now. The one who has this power says, Lo, I am with you always. Pastor, if you would go out with me, I'd go witnessing. I got somebody better to send with you. Jesus. And I'll go witness if you'll come with me. Pastor, you don't need us. You got Jesus. The power of the living God is with us every time we go out and share our faith. And that power, pay attention now, is a transforming power. You see, when Jesus touches somebody's life, he transforms their life. You'll never run into Jesus and be the same ever again. If you're a drunk, he'll make you sober. If you're an addict, he'll set you free. If you're filthy, he'll make you clean. If you're immoral, he'll give you virtue. If you're hateful, he'll put love in your heart. If you're a thief, he'll give you honesty. If you're a liar, he'll give you the truth. If you're an abuser, he'll turn you into somebody who's kind and gentle. If you're a pervert, he'll make you moral. If you are good, he'll make you godly. And if you're hell-bound, he'll give you heaven. He has the transforming power. And when we go out in his name, that power goes with us. Not only is this great commission that we have forgotten about or we don't want to remember, not only is it pointed and personal and powerful, but it's precise. Very precise. Notice Jesus says where it comes from. Verse 19, Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the... Say it. And of the, and of the, that's the Trinity. There's some people who argue that the Trinity is not biblical because the word's not used in the Bible. The concept is used repeatedly. And there it is once again. God the Father who plans our salvation says go. God the Son who purchased our salvation says go. God the Holy Spirit who pursues us and prompts us to receive the salvation that Jesus gives it to the glory of the Father, says go. This is authority, ladies and gentlemen. Let me give you an illustration of what authority is. Authority is really nothing more than wearing the badge of somebody who has charge. If I walked out at 1215 out there on the Miles Road as we're all leaving, and I decided that I, I tell our police officers, gentlemen, you guys can just sit in the car and relax. I got it today. And so I go out there, your pastor, with my black shirt on. And I go out there, and I just step right in the middle of the road and do that. I'm not a noble figure. Arms outstretched, fingers up, standing erect. What do you think is going to happen to your pastor? This black shirt will turn red for my blood. This white skin will turn black and blue from being knocked halfway across town. Those who don't hit me will cuss at me and throw things at me. I have no authority in myself to do anything out there except get run over. But suppose I said to Officer Greg and the other officer out there and said, listen, I'm 
going to stop the traffic, would you step out here with me? You on this side, you on the other. And I hold up my hands just like that. Everybody's waving at me, smiling. They stop. You get out. Then I say, come on, y'all go down. What's the difference? Because I've got authority on either side of me with a badge. And if you mess with me, you're messing with them. And you mess with them, you're messing with Dorchester County. You mess with Dorchester County, you're messing with the state of South Carolina. See, that's authority, and that's what... Jesus says, we have authority. We have a badge on us. We can speak in the name of Jesus and got the authority of the Spirit of God behind us. And then lastly, the commission is prophetic. It's pointed, go. It's personal, you. It's powerful, all power in heaven and earth is in his hands, and he's with us. It's precise. It's an authority that comes from the Holy Trinity. And lastly, it's prophetic. Notice in verse 20, we're to do this commission until the end of the world. Do you know that Jesus is coming soon? I know some of you say, Pastor Jim, you've been here 25 years. When you came here 25 years ago, you said Jesus is coming. He's not come yet. You've been wrong for 25 years. No, I've not been right. Our God is long-suffering. He's not desiring that any should perish, but all to come to life. Aren't you glad he didn't come before you got saved? I am. Sand in the hourglass of time is running out, though, ladies and gentlemen. And soon Jesus is coming. Soon he's going to come for his church, if not by the undertaker, by the uppertaker. If not through the ground, through glory. He's coming. The end of the age is coming. That's why you have to work while there is light. Because when the darkness comes, the work is over. What work is he speaking of? The work of the gospel. And by the way, if Jesus comes, we who are in Christ, we win. Do you know that? I didn't say in church. I didn't say in the baptistry pool. I didn't say in the Baptist register. Those of us that are in Christ, we are born again. We have placed our faith in Jesus. He saved us. He's changed us. We're living for him. Those of us that are in Christ, we win. I just want you to know that. Some of you look like you were lost. I, I, I tell you, smiling doesn't hurt. That, it really doesn't. I don't know, I don't know where you've learned that's, that, that a scowl looks good. It doesn't look good. Try smiling. Try smiling. We've won. One day that victory is going to be ours up there. It's ours down here, but one day it will be fulfilled in permality up there. Now, what does all that mean today? It means this. We need to get out there. Some of us do a pretty good job of it. Most of us don't do much at all with it. But can you imagine what would happen to these individuals that we prayed for if we made a conscientious effort to do more than just pray for them, but to witness to them? I mean, actually to share our faith with them, politely, kindly, as gentlemen, as ladies, with a smile on our face, a warmth in our spirit. Not just trying to save somebody so we can put a notch on our belt and brag about it at some meeting, but actually care about people. Can you imagine what it would do to our church 
if each one of us seated here right now witnessed to one person who gave their life to Jesus and ended up coming to church here? Do you understand we'd have double what we got right now? You say, Pastor, what would you do? I'd preach three times on Sunday morning. Can you imagine what it would do to our community? A community that's an asylum. If all of a sudden the people in the asylum started getting changed by the power of God because they were saved by the power of God. And by the way, if God saves you, he'll change you. And if your salvation hasn't changed you, you need to get a new salvation. Can you imagine what it would do to our communities if we took our light into the darkness and the darkness became light? If we took our salt into the decay and that that was decaying turned out to be salt? Wow. What can it would do to our nation? What do you think it would do to our nation? We got some politicians saved in Washington. It'd go a lot. Good. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the longest journey begins with the first step. You say, but pastor, it's just too much. I'm not asking you to do it all. I'm just asking you to do one. Many of you have heard the story of the little boy who was walking on the beach. His tide is rolling in. As he walks on the beach, he sees starfish, hundreds of starfish, thousands of starfish, tens of thousands of starfish, as far as the eye can see on the beach. So the little fella, as he's walking, looking at all these starfish that are dying because they're out of the water and soon will die even further because of the heat of the sun that will shine on them. So the little fella reaches down and he picks up one of the starfish and he throws it back into the ocean. Takes a few more steps, picks up another one, throws it back into the ocean. A man who's sitting in a chair is watching it all and he says, son, what in the world are you doing? What in the world are you doing? Don't you know it's a waste of time what you're doing? There's hundreds, thousands, ten thousands, hundreds of thousands of starfish. You're just wasting your time. All you can do is save a few. And the little boy said, yes, sir, you're right. But the few that I save are deeply appreciative of it. We can't save everybody. The ones that we can save will be eternally appreciative of the fact that we took the time to try. So what are we supposed to do? We've got some love story tracks, just like this one, out there in the large foyer. By the way, they're out there every Sunday, by the way. If not on the table where they're at now, they'll be off to the side and other little places. We also have them right out here in the small foyer, if you go that way. Every Sunday they're there, but there's some on a little table as well. May I ask you, every Sunday, every Sunday of this year, if you'll just take one with you. You may take five or ten or twenty. I'm just asking you to take one. If you're a gentleman, I'm asking you to stick it in your pocket and keep it straight so it won't get all wrinkled up. Wrinkled up tracks, nobody wants to read them. If you're a lady, I would ask that you would take one and put it in your pocketbook because crumbled up tracks, nobody wants to read them. People like to read crisp tracks. And would you this week, Take the track that you've got, and as a Christian gentleman or a lady, would you give it to somebody in the course of your week? Open to the leadership of the Lord who that person would be. You might know that person. You may not know that person. But as a Christian gentleman or a lady, with politeness and manners, with kindness and goodness, with love in your heart, would you present it? Would you tell somebody, this book will tell you how your life can be changed forever? Would you read it, please? Don't put it in a mailbox. Don't stick it on a windshield of a car. Hand it to them. 
knows? This little book that only talks about Jesus, by the way, if they want to become a Baptist, tell them they'll have to read another book. This little book will tell them about Jesus. Simplest explanation of who Jesus is and what he did of any book you will ever hand somebody's hand. Hand them this book. And also understand that when you hand it to one, you're handed it to ten. Because the shelf life on this little book is tenfold. In other words, ten people are going to read this little book before it's disposed of and not read no more. So when you give it to one person, it's going to end up being read by nine other people as well. Could I ask you to take one with you? Pass it out this coming week. Next Sunday, take another one with you. Same thing. There's an urgency that we do this. Pastor, I'm too old. You can hand out a track. Pastor, I'm too young. You can hand out a track. Pastor, I don't know what to say. Don't worry about it. Just hand out the track. Just hand it out. You say, Pastor, suppose they throw it down and cuss me out. I've been doing this a long time, and I'm going to do more of it, better of it. I've only had one person in 33 years I've been a pastor ever tell me they didn't want it. And they weren't rude, they just didn't want it. You say, well, you're the pastor, that's why they don't say nothing to you. Listen, I don't walk around with a pastor sign on my neck. <laughs> Most of the time, people don't even know I'm a pastor. And I don't tell them. I'm just a regular Joe to them, and that's the way I like it to be, because then you can have avenues where they think, you're doing this because you care about him, and I am, not because I'm a pastor. So don't worry about rejection. That's what Satan puts in your mind to deter you. He wants you to be afraid that they're going to ask you some crazy question and you can't answer it. Or they're going to be mean to you or hurtful to you. Just hand out the track. Wow. Can you imagine what could happen if we all did that every week? Five to six hundred people has paddling. You say, Pastor, that costs a lot of money to get more of those. That's okay. We'll spend it. As long as you'll pass them out, we'll spend it. I'm going to close our service in an unusual way. There's probably three or four songs if you come to my funeral you're going to hear. This is one of them. Say, Pastor, you plan on dying? I don't think so. But at least not now. But there has been some activity around my area. <laughs> my dear wife said, why don't we move over where Keith and Kim are? <laughs> but this song is sang by the Mike Speck Trio. It's a song that kind of summarizes everything I've said. I could have opened with this song, and then we could have went home at 11 o'clock. But you would have been complaining. So I'm going to close with this song. This is our closing song. There will be no invitation. I want you to listen to the words of this song. You've heard it before, but I want you to listen to the words. Not just hear the words, but listen to what's being said. The title of the song is, There is a Remedy. We have the remedy. We know who the remedy is. There is a remedy. When the song is over, you pick up your track and you'll be dismissed. There is a remedy. Sinner blind and searching for the child in need.
Frustrated, the discouraged and dismayed. 